Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege we have to understand and study your word. We ask that your spirit would draw close to us, to open our eyes, to help us understand your truth. And we ask in a special way that you would reveal to us and convict us of the things that you desire to change in our lives, that we may have a true and full conversion experience, that we would trust in faith and by faith in all that you have for us, including a transforming, justifying experience and a deepening, growing, sanctifying experience. And we ask, Lord, that you would just continue to move and guide and lead our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I was in college, I went to a state university called Jacksonville State University, just about an hour and a half south of here, maybe a little more, maybe closer to two hours. And in that state university, uh, there's many things that are taught. I have a degree, in ge- a bachelor's degree in geographic information systems with a uh, minor in geoarchaeology and history. And so I sat in a state university uh, in biology classes and geology classes and geography classes and anthropology classes where the teachers uh, very strongly uh, promoted evolution and very strongly promoted uh, the, uh, uh, the concept of, you understand, billions of years forming uh, the earth and everything that we know. Um, very much, I, many times I had professors who would just openly mock Christians in the classroom. And uh, they would call them out, and they would talk about Noah's Ark, and they would make jokes, cutting jokes, and nothing was ever done about it. And so uh, I was, in my pre-Christian conversion experience, among those who were laughing and and making jokes. And uh, when I, I shared my testimony of the night, but when I uh, came to know the Lord and I began to study uh, prophecy, and I began to study some creation science and various things. I went to my professors with a number of questions that they could not answer. And I, you know, even before I became a Christian, I started noticing that evolution and the, in the form of macroevolution, where one species um, trans, um, um, evolves into another species. I began to see a lot of flaws and a lot of holes in that even before I became a Christian. And those were just kind of questions that I I didn't have answers to and they didn't have answers to, but we just kind of accepted as generally true. And so the more I studied, the more convinced I became that evolution, in the larger sense, can't be true. And I do believe that animals can adapt to their circumstances, their environments. I mean, if you take a, a herd of deer from Alaska and cold weather, and you put them down in Florida, over several generations, their hair is going to become thinner and less. And that's called uh, microevolution, which is not contrary to biblical beliefs. It is just saying that animals adapt to their environment. Okay, But macroevolution, there's absolutely really no evidence for it. And when you really study it through, it, there's a great lack of evidence, despite what people are saying. Now, I've often asked various evolutionists, and, and, and this question always seems to stop them dead in their tracks, can you name for me one species of animal that has ever been observed 
to transition from one species to another, either in the in the either that is alive now or in the fossil record. And there is absolutely no record of any species ever fully transitioning. Maybe adapting, but not fully transitioning. And friends, I'm telling you, when you really dig into it, people get intimidated by scholarship. And there's nothing wrong with scholarship. But scholarship, now I'm very careful how I'm choosing my words on a, on a university. Scholarship doesn't always have logic common, logical common sense. I mean, I knew a PhD who I worked in a poultry plant, and I had a PhD uh, who was overseeing the USDA products, so he was making sure everything was according to regulation. He got his flannel shirt soaked in water, and he put it in a microwave to try to dry it out, and it caught on fire. So what I'm saying is this. I'm not attacking, do not misunderstand, I'm not attacking scholarship. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But just because it's scholarly, history has proven it. And, and I would challenge the most ardent scholar that sometimes scholarship has been wrong. Yes or no? It was the scholars of the day that nailed the Son of God to a cross. Now, there are scholars who are wonderful. There are some, scholarship has also given us some of the greatest blessings in understanding the Bible, okay? But just because it's scholarship doesn't always mean that it's totally right, as is evidenced by my friends down at the State University who are PhDs, but who also believe in evolution. So I don't believe in evolution. I believe there's a lot of a reason not to believe in it. And I can't get into all that today, but I want to identify something. I want to just identify a couple of definitions of evolution. Number one, I just pulled this from dictionary. Evolution is described as the process by which different kinds of living organisms are thought to have developed and diversified from earlier forms during the history of the earth. Does that sound like a decent Description of evolution, okay? Now, a little bit, one, one a little bit more in depth that I'm going to pull something from here. Here's another one. Evolution is the theory that represents the course of the whole world, a gradual transition from the lower to the higher, okay? From the worse to the what? To the better, Thus, pro progress points to an increased value in existence are judged by our feelings. So what's this saying? Let me, let me just break this down one more time. Evolution is a theory that represents the course of the whole world as a gradual transition from the lower to the higher. From the worse to the what? To the better. Thus, the, and the way that we measure that is primarily by our feelings. So, basically, the point of evolution is this. That as evolution continues to develop, we are getting what? Better. As a people. We're going from worse to what? Better. Now, you look around in the world today, and you tell me if it's getting worse or better. Which one is it? Any person with any type of sense, whether they're religious or not, will tell you that the world as a whole 
is getting worse and not better. True or false? Now, there are certain things about the world that are better. Okay? I mean, we have better medicine. We have, you know, a lot of good things in the world. But generally, at large, people are sicker than they've ever been. We've had more problems than we've ever had. There's mental problems, and there's all kinds of problems in our world that didn't used to exist. In past times, people tended to be generally happier than they are today. I mean, that's been proven by various studies. And so this says that evolution teaches that things are getting better. Okay? Now, if you notice here, I want you to uh, uh, understand this. It also says that the thing, gets, the thing that's getting better is getting better of itself, and that which causes it to get better is itself. Does that make sense? So in other words, uh, the cause for getting better as we're progressing does not come from an external source, but it comes from where? We call that today, we have a very sophisticated name in our age for that, we call that self-improvement or self Help. How many of you have heard that before, right? And so evolution will say that over the course of time you're getting better and then also over the course of time the source of getting better is you. Now I want you to think about that very carefully for just a minute. The, one of the problems with that concept is that evolution is not an organized process. What is evolution not? Evolution is not an organized process. Macroevolution is a chaotic process. Do you understand that? Because crazy things happen like mutations and, and random events that just kind of crash on something and then it makes it change and it becomes something else. That's the basic theory of evolution. Now the basic, and people, and, and so for evolution to randomly, by mutation, be making us better must mean that it is an organized process. But in fact, it's not, you understand? And people today somehow think that evolution, when you mutate and then you become something better, it's as if evolution actually has its own intelligence, and it's actually thinking about the problem that you have and making something happen in your body to make it better. But evolution does not contain its own intelligence. Are you with me? Yes or no? It is a chaotic, random process. And in any form or fashion, when you have a chaotic process in this world, whether it's in a lab or whether it's out in the field or wherever it is, a chaotic process never produces anything organized or intelligent. Is that true, yes or no? When you take dynamite and you put it to a nice, beautiful building and you blow it up, does anything organized come out of that? No. If I blow anything up or if I just punch a hole through something, it doesn't become better, it becomes what? Worse. Are you with me? I can, and I said this the other night, but I can take a bunch of pieces of random metal and I can put them in a bucket and I can shake them up and I can cook them and I can melt them. I can do all kinds of crazy stuff with them and never in a billion or more years 
Will I ever be able to open that bucket and pull out a MacBook Pro or an iPad? Because I rolled around some pieces or I shot them with electricity or I mutated them or whatever. Whenever that stuff comes out, it's still going to be what? A bunch of scrap pieces of metal. The only thing that comes from organization is organization. Does that make sense? Evolution basically has three primary functions. It needs to exist, right? It needs to reproduce, or I'm sorry, before that, it needs to obtain what it needs to exist, right? And it needs to reproduce. Does that make sense? All that, a, that an organi organism needs to do, if, if evolution basically says it doesn't have any purpose, it doesn't have really any reasoning, and if a thing can, can exist, it can obtain what it needs to exist, and it can reproduce, it doesn't need to get better. Does that make sense? All it needs to do is what it's doing. Do you follow that logic? And so there's no need for it to get better, unless it's trying to get whatever it's getting. But again, organization never comes through a want, a chaos. Now, again... The source of the thing getting better according to evolution is what? Itself. Now, I don't know anyone or very many people who would say that the world is getting better and it's getting better because of us or that we're getting better because of ourselves. So here's a problem that if we're judging by our feelings, then the only way that we know we're getting better is because we what? is because we feel better. Now, a question for you today. Has your Christian experience been where you have had feelings that have go up and down and all around? Yes or no? How many of you have ever had that type of experience as a Christian? Where you've just felt good one day, and you say, man, God is good. God is great. And we say God is good all the time, right? And, and, and we, only, we always say that, but then when we feel bad, we think, well, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? I must have sinned because I feel bad today. I don't feel close to God today. So there must be, and my, and my whole experience is just like this, constantly. Now, do you suppose that that's the experience that God wants you to have, yes or no? Sometimes we... we have the down time, and we say, well, guess what? I just need to turn over a new leaf. I just need a new effort. I just need to start something new again. And so we say, well, I'm just going to try a little bit harder this time. I'm going to put the past behind me, and I'm just going to run forward and press as hard as I can. How many of you are, have had that experience, right? And you say, well, I'm just going to start it over. <clears throat> and so you do that, and that may work, seemingly work for a while, but then all of a sudden you have a what? You have those downs again. And you look back over a, a long period of time and you evaluate your life and you say, well, I've had all these ups and downs and I think that I can make some progress. I think that I've advanced in my Christian experience, but I'm really not quite sure because I've had so many downs and everything is judged by my feelings based upon what I think that I've done in my life. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Therefore, sometimes as Christians, we mark ourselves not just as, create, as Christians, but actually as what? Evolutionists. 
because we're trying to mark our progress by our own efforts, which go up and down and all around, rather than basing our experience upon what Christ has done for us and what He wants to do in us. We mark it on our own selves. Is everybody with me, yes or no? Now, let's go to the Bible and turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And I want you, we're going to kind of do a little bit, somewhat of a review of what I shared the other day, but we're going to take it a little bit further. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his what? His son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So the Bible tells us in chapter 1 that God through Christ made the what? He made the worlds. It doesn't just say world, it says what? Worlds. Plural, correct? So he made more than one world and, uh, world, and in fact, the Bible says that he made how many worlds? All the worlds, right? Now, I want you to notice something very powerful, that it doesn't just say that God created the worlds, but it also says that he uphold, upholds them by the word of his what? By the word of his power. I want you to think about that for just a minute. The Bible says that God spoke the worlds into existence. Because the, the word of God, when God speaks, it has creative power. What kind of power does it have? It has creative power. So when God speaks, it has the ability to actually form a substance from nothing into something. Isn't that a powerful concept? Now, when I speak, all I can do is declare what's already there. My word has no creative power unless I actually do something with it. I actually have to lift up my hand and make a thing happen in order to fulfill my word. Is that true? And you're, you, it's the same for you. God's word is self-fulfilling. God can sit upon the throne of, uh, of the universe and he doesn't even have to move his finger to be able to create a very sophisticated, complex world. All that God has to do is what? He just speaks the words and it happens. Imagine if God did lift a finger to do something. If his word is that power, imagine if he used his hand. Amen? <laughs> a very powerful thought. But, but God speaks and those things come into existence. Now listen, the same word that he speaks to create doesn't just make a thing, but it actually sustains a thing. Does that make sense? So because God's word is eternal, when it speaks, it not only has the ability to create, but it actually has the ability to sustain whatever it creates for all eternity. 
So the Word of God is not just momentary. It is what? Eternal. Our words as humans are momentary. Are you with me? Our words are not eternal. God's Word is eternal. And He both created the worlds. And that it doesn't mean that when God spoke and He created, that He has to keep speaking to sustain it. Because the Word that He spoke the first and only time has the power in it to uphold that thing that it makes for all eternity. That is an absolutely mind-blowing thought. It is not something that we can really even fully grasp in the limited life that we have. Are you with me? So, God created the world, and He also sustains it. Now go with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. It says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, this is very interesting because so many atheists will say, well, faith is a thing that uh, you know, is like a weakness because it's a crutch that people lean upon. Uh, it's not something you can see. It's not something you can touch. It's just some kind of nebulous thing that doesn't really matter. Or that, and it doesn't really, you can't really put your finger on it. And yet the Bible says, faith is the what? The substance of things hoped for. Is substance a thing you can actually touch? Yeah. And then it says, it is the evidence of things not what? Seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, a couple of things. Does God give us substance and evidence upon which to build our faith? Yes or no? He does. Some people say to me, well, give me evidence that God is real. I said, the greatest evidence that God exists is you. It's you. The fact that your heart is beating. People, we don't even often understand the miracle that takes place with every heartbeat you have and every breath you take. You understand? The human body is so complex and every day they're figuring out that it's more complex than they ever thought possible, than they ever thought before. You understand? And so the evidence of God's ability to create is all around us. It's everywhere. I mean, you look in the beauty of nature. It's there. And so notice what it says. It's the substance of things hoped for. So in other words, we see the substance in the world and then, we say, and then we see what God says is to come. And because of what we see right here, we have confidence that He's going to give us what He's promised. Does that make sense? Are you with me? And then it says it's the evidence of things not seen. But then he says in verse 3 that the, we understand the words were framed of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things that are visible. So in other words, what he's saying is this. We can have confidence and what we can't see because of what we can see. Are you with me? Now, science will tell you, and evolution will tell you, that we have, that, that, that they have to admit that they have the same situation. You see? Because they make certain conclusions 
based upon what they see, but they're making conclusions about things that they didn't see. You got that? Does that make sense? They are making conclusions about things that they didn't see. And so, I mean, it blows my mind that I'll read an article online or something, newspaper, and they'll say, well, you know, we found this bone and, and, and we found this skeleton of a dinosaur and it was probably killed this way because of a certain thing. You know, a rock fell down upon its head and it died and then the hunters came in and I'm like, you have no idea how that animal died. You have no idea how it died. And you can assume all day, and you have every right and privilege to do so, but at the end of the day, all your assumptions are simply assumptions. Are you with me? Does that make sense? And so uh, no scientific person is going to convince me that just because you find a bone somewhere that you necessarily uh, can claim that it's so many billion years old. You don't know that it's that old. And, the, and I could go into all this, but the, the, some, many of the dating systems that are used are not even accurate. So, the point is this, that we have in the world today the evidence of things that we can see to give us the substance and evidence for the things that we cannot see. Does that make sense? Now, when I want to build something, if I want to make a house, let's say I want to build a house, or I want to build up my own car, whatever, what do I have to do in order to build that thing? <clears throat> what do I have to do? I have to draw up some plans. So I got my plans ready, but now I'm ready to build. What do I have to do? I have to go get the what? I have to go get the stuff. And so God has given us as humanity the ability to make things. Isn't that a blessing? The ability to be creative, to think about things, to actually construct things. But I want you to understand that our creativity and our ability is very limited. Why? Because we have to go and collect and get stuff that is already there. And without that stuff, we have no ability to make anything. No matter how thoughtful we are, no matter how much we come up with the greatest plan in all of humanity, we still cannot build that thing unless we have the other stuff to do it. Are you with me? So we are dependent upon that stuff to make that thing. Yes or no? But the Bible here is telling us in verse 3 that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, when God created the world, what did He have to start with? Nothing. Are you with me? And so God had the ability to create something out of nothing. You can't do that. You are limited. And all the stuff that you go to build, all these things, all the stuff that the, that the atheist gathers to build, the buildings and the MacBooks and all the stuff to try to defy God are made from stuff that He made. You don't have the ability to create anything, but God had the ability to speak and make stuff happen. That's power. That's what true power is. Now, um, I'm not going to go here for sake of time, but in Psalm 33, we read this verse the other night, the Bible says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Correct? And all the host of them, right? In Genesis 1, it tells us that in the beginning was God, and, and God spoke, and He said, let there be light, and there was what? Light. 
light. Then he, he went through the six days of creation. He, he, he spoke and there was vegetation on the earth and there was water and there was, then there were animals on the sixth day. And then he formed man from the dust of the ground. So I want to ask you some questions now. Between the time when God created the world from nothing, but between the time when God spoke and said, let there be fill in the blank, and the time which that thing actually was, how much time passed? How much time? A billion years? 10 billion? 40 billion? A million? How many? Okay, instantaneous, correct? So are you sure it wasn't even like a hundred years? Was it even, did God even speak in like one minute pass and like all of the universe was sitting in silence waiting when God spoke and then after a minute it just like popped up? Is that how it went? No, it was how? As God spoke, as He was speaking the sentence, that thing was forming and coming into existence. And by the time God finished the sentence, it was complete. Yes or no? Are you with me? Does that make sense? So if we believe that any amount of time passed between when God spoke the word and the thing actually came into existence, what would we have to call ourselves? Evolutionist. Even if one minute passed, correct? What about one second? Even if one second of time lapsed between when God spoke and that thing was, we would have to call ourselves what? Evolutionists, right? How many of you would call yourselves a creationist this morning? You believe, I mean, you can be honest. I mean, I know, I know for a fact that on this university, there are atheists, there are people who believe in evolution, and there's all these kind of ideas floating around. So I'm not trying to get everybody to say a certain thing that I want them to. But I'm just asking how many of you would believe that you today are a creationist? Yes? As Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in a six-day literal creation. And as God spoke, it happened. Yes? That's what a seventh... If you don't believe that, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to criticize you. But you would not be able to define yourself as a Seventh-day Adventist. You understand that? You'd be something else, but not a Seventh-day Adventist. Because Seventh-day Adventists believe that God has the ability to create things instantaneously. And he did so over the course of six days because that's how he chose to do it. Now you may say, what in the... Why are you going on about this? I'm coming to a point, okay? Very clear. So, if anything were to pass between... When God spoke and when, it and when it happened, if any amount of time was in between that, we would consider ourselves what? Evolutionists and not what? Not creationists and Seventh-day Adventists. Correct? So how many of you are with me so far? Based upon everything I've said, you would say I'm still a creationist this morning. How many of you would agree with that? Okay. Now, a question for you. If God's word is creative and it is infinitely creative, and it is instantaneously creative, would that same word be all those things in the New Testament of the Bible and not just the Old Testament? Yes or no? How many of you would agree it would be in the New Testament? Okay, so let's go to the New Testament. Go with me to the book of Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. 
And we're going to find a story here that's very powerful. Actually, let's go... I always do this. I've got to change this in my notes. There's the same story in the book of Matthew. And it is Matthew chapter... Let me remember which chapter that is. I think it's chapter 8. Yes, chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. Let's go there. Notice this in verse 1. Speaking of Jesus. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, You can make me, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be what? Be cleansed. And how much time passed from when Jesus spoke the word, be clean, to when that leper was actually clean? How much time passed? Zero. Zero. In fact, the next word in the verse says what? It says, immediately his leprosy was what? Was cleansed. And Jesus said, see that you tell no one to go to the priest. And so there's another example of Jesus speaking his word and instantly a person being what? Cleansed. With me? Now, go to verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will do what? I will come and heal him. In other words, Jesus was going to take the time to go to that person and lay his hand on them and heal them. Are you with me? Now, who's the man coming and requesting this? Centurion, which means he is not a Jew, but a what? He's a Roman. He's a Gentile, right? But notice what happens here in verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only what? Only what? Only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. Why? He says, for I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And so this man, I want, I want you to understand that the authority that a person has to execute his word makes all the difference. You understand? So let's call this man Max. Maximus was a very common name in, the, in Roman times. So let's call this man Max. And Max is out of his uniform as a centurion. He's just a normal guy. He's walking around with his little suit on, and he goes up to a guy, and he says, Hey, I want you to get over here, and I want you to paint my fence today. And when you're done with that, I've got a pile of rocks I want moved over here. And when you're done with that, I've got a couple of holes in my roof I need you to patch. And I want you to do it, and I want you to go do it right now. What's the response of that guy going to be? Who are you? I don't, I don't, I'm not your slave. I don't work for you. You're not the boss of me. I don't, you don't tell me what to do. i got my own stuff to do. Go find somebody else, right? Or you might say, pay me, correct? 
But when Max goes back to his house and he puts on that centurion uniform and he comes back and he says, hey, I want you to go do this. What does the guy do? He goes right then. But guess what? In order for that man to fulfill in order for Max's word to be fulfilled, that guy has to actually what? He actually has to do something. Are you with me? Does that make sense? When the centurion came to Jesus, Jesus said, yes, I'll come and I will do something. Are you with me? But the man says, no, Lord. All you have to do is what? Speak a word. Because I understand authority. But listen, he understood authority, but he also understood that me as a centurion, when I speak, in order for my word to be fulfilled, somebody has to do something. But he's saying, Lord, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is what? Speak, and your word has creative power. So when he was making that confession to Jesus, he was really saying, I believe you to be the Son of God, the living Christ. He was confessing Jesus as the Savior. And he was saying, every person on the earth would have to come and do something, but you don't have to do that. All you got to do is what? Speak. And I know that my servant will be healed. And when Jesus heard that, notice what happens. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. It was amazing to Jesus. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, I want you to understand this, that the reason Jesus was marveling was because someone actually took God at His word. Someone actually believed what Jesus was saying. And very few times when he was on the earth did anyone actually ever believe what he said. And Jesus says, as a consequence of you believing and yielding to my word, let it be so for you according to your faith. And the Bible says immediately in that same moment, that servant was made well. Do you understand that? Yes or no? Now, look at this. How much time again passed between when Jesus spoke and that man was healed? That man was several miles away from Jesus, and yet when he spoke, because his word is infinitely what? Creative, and it has power, it was able to work despite the fact of wherever Jesus was. Are you with me, yes or no? And so Jesus demonstrated over and over again that the Word of God has creative power. And I want you to understand that God's desire is not that we come to understand and believe that His Word has power, but He wants us to grasp the fact that the Word of God can have a power in our lives. Are you with me? So, so, so God doesn't just want the Word to be true because it already is true, whether you believe it or not. But God's purpose is that the Word of God would become true, not just in the world, but in you. Are you with me? And that's what real faith is. 
It is despite the external circumstances, believing that the Word of God can be true in you. Now listen. All of Israel said, you remember this, Israel said, hey, you know, Moses went up to Mount Sinai, the thunder uh, struck and the clouds gathered and there was lots of noise and stuff and Moses came down and he told all the people all the Ten Commandments and everything and what did the people say? All that the Lord has said, we will what? We will do and we will be obedient. When was it that God wanted them to become obedient? Did He want them to become obedient 40 years later? Or did He want them to become obedient when? Right then. And the only way for them to become obedient right then was for them to actually exercise faith in what God said and come to the realization that they themselves could not do what God was asking them to do, except that He gave them a new heart. And that it was His life and His power being lived through them to enable and empower them to do that thing. Yes or no? Now listen. That is, uh, they said, all you have said, we will do and be obedient. That was the right thing to do, they said, and we see that it needs to be done. Therefore, we will do it. They did their best. And it took them a while. Evolution. So long that they never did it. They never did it. Evolution fails in the long term of things. It was never accomplished by themselves. And they rejected the creative power for God to do it in them and for them and through them. But today, each one of you have the opportunity to not fail where they failed. Now, a question for this for you this morning. Here's where it gets a little convicting. In your own life, Do you believe that God can do this for you? That He can actually create in you a clean heart? Nobody in the room likely has a problem with the thought that God created the world in six literal days and that His Word was all-powerful and almighty. But what about inside your heart today? Let me give you a few examples of this. We think to ourselves, you know, I've got this issue of impurity in my life. And I truly believe that God's power can heal me from this thing. And I know that someday, what? Someday, hopefully, maybe, if I can measure up enough over time that God will take care of this thing for me. I've got this grievous sin in my life and I've asked God for forgiveness and and I'm not quite sure if He's forgiven me, but I'm I'm, I'm confident that someday God's going to do something for me. He's going to change my life someday. And man, what a day that's going to be. I'm just going to rejoice until that day. 
When Jesus has already said to the leper, I'm willing. And when he said, I'm willing, 2,000 years ago to the leper, those words are what? Eternal. And so they apply to you here today. Are you with me, yes or no? We got no problem believing that God can create the world in a moment, but we have some kind of uh, of difficulty believing that He can change our hearts in a moment. And He can recreate our hearts in a moment. Are you with me? And so if I'm looking somewhere down the road for God to change my heart when He's already said today, I can do that for you then we would actually find ourselves not being creationists, but rather what? How many of you are an evolutionist today? Confess your sin to the Lord. Many of us are evolutionists. Maybe not scientifically, but maybe spiritually. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. One of the most great and glorious passages in all the Scripture. Look here at verse 22. Actually, verse 21, sorry. Actually, verse 20. He's speaking about Israel, which means he's speaking about who? He's speaking about us. Verse 20, when they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. So in other words, he's saying that here are a group of Gentiles who are actually rebuking God's people and saying, you call yourselves the people of the Lord, but you're you're not acting like him. Have you ever been embarrassed like that before? You do something with a crowd and somebody says, aren't you one of those Adventists? Aren't you a Christian? You shouldn't be doing this thing. Should that ever happen to you before? But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And, and he's, saying, I, he's not saying, I'm not doing this for your sake because he's trying to be mean about it. He's not being selfish. He's saying, I'm not doing this for your sake because you didn't want it. You weren't interested. All you were interested in is doing your own thing. But he says, for my name's sake, which will benefit you, I'm going to do this. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord. He says, uh, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. In other words, God says the way that I'm going to to, uh, reclaim my reputation and my name among the Gentiles is that I'm going to be made holy in you. I am going to hallow you when I dwell within you. And the people see that. They're going to see me. God makes a promise 
to you today that He's going to dwell in you if you will allow it. Are you with me, yes or no? And that others will see it, and His name will be glorified because of it. But notice what He says, I will take you out from among the nations. You have to come out of that group. You understand? You have to come out of Babylon. You have to come out of the world. You have to be separate and distinct. I'll take you out from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you to your own land. And notice these words. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And I will give you a what? New heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. And then you will dwell in the land that I give your fathers. And you will be my people. And I will be your God. Dear brothers and sisters, we long for clean hearts but it can come by no other means than creation. Recreation. So stop in your own efforts trying to clean yourselves up. Stop in your own efforts by trying to keep the commandments of God in your own strength. Stop by trying to make yourselves good enough to approach God and just stop and say, God, I am not what you want me to be. You must create in me a clean heart. And the only role that I have to play is to yield. Is to do what? Yield. And when I yield, and you do a work for me that I cannot do for myself, then you will put your spirit within me, and then you will cause me to walk in your commandments and in your judgments. Are you with me today, yes or no? The question we need to ask ourselves every morning is, is there still a Creator who is able to perform His Word? Amen. And when we ask that question, the answer will be what? Yes. yes. And if there is a Creator, He can recreate you because His Word is eternal and it is creative and the same promises that were written then apply to you to now, but you must not dare to think that time must pass before that promise can be true for you today. You must believe it and respond in faith and act upon it. You understand? That doesn't mean, I mean, there may be a time when you'll take your eyes off Christ and fall again, but you must rise up and claim the promise again and again and again. And God's Word is not uh, from evolution, but it is through creation. How many of you can say amen today? Amen. If we find ourselves to be evolutionists, we should not try to deny it, but confess it and turn away with it and turn to the living God with all of our hearts. Amen? Two statements I want to read, and then we're going to close. <clears throat> These are my words, but I want you to listen. I wrote it because I want it to be spoken just right. His word spoken to us in the dark waste and void space of our hearts, if received produces there the same light of God as came about on the first day of creation of this world. That word spoken and received today to us who are afflicted with the leprosy of sin will immediately cleanse us. 
immediately. You don't have to doubt it. You don't even have to feel it. But by the faith in His Word, you can know it to be true. Because which do you trust more? Do you trust how you feel more or do you trust this book more? That's the bottom line. Because Satan is going to work overtime to manipulate your feelings, your emotions, and your thoughts. But if your thoughts, feelings, and emotions are rooted and centered in the Word of God, then there's nothing to fear. And there's nothing to doubt. The Word is the living thing, the life that is in the life of God. And the life of God is in His Word. Forever it abides and remains, so forever it has a creative power to work, transform, and sustain you and I. How many of you can say amen to that? One last statement from uh, the book Testimonies, Volume 2, page 453. None are so low, so corrupt and vile, that they cannot find in Jesus who died for them strength, purity, and righteousness. If they will put away their sins, cease from their course of iniquity, and turn with full purpose of heart to the living God. He is waiting to strip them of their filthy garments, stained and polluted by sin, and to put upon them the white, right, bright robes of righteousness, and He bids them live and not die. The God of heaven today says to you, I want you to live and not die. Death is foreign to me. I have no pleasure in it. I have no purpose in death. But I want you to live. But you have to choose. In Him we may flourish. Our branches will not wither or be fruitless. If we abide in Him, we can draw sap and nourishment from Him, be imbued with His Spirit, walk even as He walked, overcome as He overcame, and be exalted to His own right hand. John 1.12 To them that received Him, He gave the right to become the sons and daughters of God. If we try to do the works, now works are important, aren't they? The Bible talks all about it. But if we try to do the works ourselves before the new creation, it's evolution. Are you with me? If you're trying to work your way into favor with God, you're in evolution. You're, you're believing in evolution. When God says you can work throughout the rest of eternity and not accomplish it for yourselves, just like Israel didn't. But if you will believe in my power to recreate your heart, it can happen that fast. Are you with me? We are trying to improve ourselves over time, which makes us evolutionists to the core. And listen, the works must come as a product of the new creation, not as a process to create it. So today, you may find yourself to be an evolutionist. But you don't have to leave as an evolutionist. You can leave this place with a new heart, a recreated heart, a heart that will humble itself and submit to the life-transforming power of the Spirit of God 
And you can leave this place trusting fully in His Word and know that your heart can be cleansed and transformed immediately. As our sister begins to play, there may be somebody here today that says, Lord, I've been up and down and all around. I've not believed truly in Your Word to cleanse me immediately. I've not believed in Your transforming power to give me a new heart. But today, God, I want to believe. It doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have battles. But if you plant yourself firmly, if you anchor yourself in the Word of God and its creative power, day by day as you place your life in the hands of Christ, He will change you. And He will deepen you and He will transform you. And that transformation can take place now and it can continue to deepen as you walk more closely with Him. And so today the Lord is calling us to truly be creationists. Not just creationists who believe the world was created, but creationists who believe that our hearts were recreated. And that's a greater testimony to the power and the glory of God than even when He created the world at the very beginning from nothing. Because He created the world from nothing. He created your, your heart from being corrupted in sin, which was worse than nothing. So what are you going to do today? What choice are you going to make? Maybe today... You want to choose to be a creationist. And if that's you today, I'd like to invite you, wherever you are, this is not a general invitation for every person, although it may apply to every person. I don't want you to doubt that. But if truly you've been an evolutionist, you believe that God would fix me, you know, somewhere down the line rather than today. Not that we don't grow over time. We certainly do through sanctification. But the change happens now when I believe in the Word of God. And if that's you today, and you'd like to say, Lord, I don't want to be an evolutionist anymore. Make me a creationist by recreating in me a clean heart, oh God. Then just stand to your feet wherever you are. The Lord has so inclined you this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice at the power of Your Word. The Word spoken at creation is just as powerful and potent as the Word we have written in our hands today, the Bible. There's no less power in it. There's no less strength. It's still the same Word that You spoke. And when we truly place ourselves within its power, it will transform us and shape and change our lives to be the people not that we desire to be, but that you desire to be. And what you desire for us is much better than anything we can ever desire for ourselves. So please, Lord, we want to yield this morning. We want that power to become a reality. And if by some reason we, we, we have a stumble 
Help us not to become discouraged, but to pick ourselves back up and claim your promise again. We ask this, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.